Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Galatians chapter 2. Again, if you're new to the Bible, we are rooting around in this book called Galatians. It's a small little letter in the second half of your Bible, and it is punchy. And I'm so excited that you got here tonight. You survived the rain out there, and you got here so that we can continue our study verse by verse through the book of Galatians. As you're finding Galatians chapter 2, uh, my wife and I, we got married right around the time that the undisputed greatest movie of all time was released. Um, Nacho Libre. I know y'all. I know that's what y'all were thinking, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, some Nacho fans out there, and, and we're big Nacho fans. Yeah, me and yeah, thank you. And um, and so uh, one of the things that we did was we wanted to join the Luchador Libre Posse, and so we bought these uh, Luchador masks. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things before, and um, and we thought it'd be funny because we went on a family vacation to Mexico. We thought it'd be funny to take our Luchador masks with us and uh, and wear them around at different places. And so we went to these Mayan ruins and um, outside of Cancun, Mexico. You can see us right here wearing our mask and, um, you know, taking some pictures. And so, and and everybody's looking at us like, y'all are crazy, you know, because we were the only ones wearing luchador masks at the Mayan ruins. And, uh, you know, everybody's there just kind of looking at the history. But my wife and I, no, 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 we like to, we like to have fun in life and we like to do things like this. And, um, and, and really what was really going on, what was behind the mask, um, you can imagine this is where we are right here. This is behind the mask. This is going on. Yeah, y'all see the afro? Come on now, somebody. <laughs> Pick that thing out. Woohoo! Yeah. Brother had some hair back in the day, all right? We were newlyweds and it was fun. That was us several years ago. And uh, you can pull that down now. All right. And so, anyway, everybody's looking at us crazy because they're like, why are y'all wearing masks? You know, you're, you're, you don't have to do that. You know, like everyone, everyone that's normal here is taking normal photos. But you, y'all are wearing masks, and, and why, why are you doing that? And it doesn't make sense, and it's a little bit awkward, but I wonder, I wonder if God feels that way about us spiritually. But the reason why I share all of that is because I think God is like in heaven looking down on us, if that's what he does, and he's just like, hey, why are y'all, why are y'all wearing masks spiritually? Like, like he's looking at us, and he's almost saying, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't, have to, you don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. It's what we know as hypocrisy. And I think when you talk to people outside of the church and you ask them, hey, when I say the word Christian, what, what comes to mind? And, and many people say, oh, well, number one thing I think about is Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And by and large, they're not too far off. Because we have this tendency to kind of invent a version of faith where we can kind of live our life a certain way that's contrary to the Bible, but somehow think that that's all okay. And I know for me, like that was, that was my faith for several years. Like I had created this version of Christianity where I was like sort of a Christian, you know what I'm talking about? You know, like I, I, like I went to church from time to time and I would be awake during the music, but then during the sermon, I would just kind of like snooze a little bit, like some of y'all may be doing right now. Wake up, wake up, elbow your neighbor, okay? And, and I would just kind of go, you know, and, I, and I'm like, all right, I went to church for the month. I'm good, you know, and I'm just kind of like sort of a Christian. And, and I had these things that I, I knew that were, were wrong to do. Like I knew what the Bible said on some of the big categories of my life. And, and I was like, well, but, but God's a God of grace, you know, and he's a God of love. And, and, and everyone else around me, they're kind of living their faith like this and and I was kind of like a tailgate theologian where, you know, you'd have deep conversations 
around different environments, and it just what and it like when I started looking at what it was going on, I was like, I don't think that I'm really living out Christianity the way that the Bible says it should be. And and when I say hypocrite, I think that there's like two categories because when we when we come in here tonight, like we're all hypocrites to some degree. All right, so let me just kind of like get everybody on the same page. There's what's called a reluctant hypocrite. That's when you figure out something in your life that's a little bit, you know, like a double standard, and you're like, hmm, that's not right. I need to change that. And I think there are areas of our life, we're all a work in progress, that we're all reluctant hypocrites in some form or fashion. But then, that's not really what I'm talking about. For me, in, in the season of life I'm talking about, I was like a willing hypocrite, all right? I was the guy who was like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know that I'm not doing that. But I'm sort of Christian. I'm Christian-ish. And I think that's okay. Like on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like really like varsity Christianity, one being like, I hate God. I'm like a six or a seven. You know, like I, and a six out of 10, that's a D. D for disciple. That's what I was thinking. You know, like it's all good, right? And then I started reading the Bible and people started teaching me the Bible. And I started understanding that in the Bible, there's no such thing as, as a sort of Christian. Like, like you're either a Christian or you're not. And I started reading the scriptures and started looking at my life and I'm like, uh-oh, there's a lot of inconsistencies here. And if I claim that God has changed my life, what has really changed in my life? And so like I started thinking, okay, man, I, I, I need to change. I was wearing this mask spiritually and if you've ever done this, you know this to be true, it's exhausting. Like some of you, you you've put on a, a show, you put on a mask, so to speak, just to come in here tonight. And like, here's what I know, like when, when you live in willing hypocrisy, it, is, it, it leads to anxiety spiritually. It leads to you coming to places like this and you're like, man, if they only knew what I was doing earlier with that person, or if they only knew the real me, and it creates this sort of like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go towards the things I know I need to go towards, but I'm never gonna address the things that I know I need to address in my life. And I'm gonna create this sort of game called Christianity or spirituality where I just kind of get the good vibes and I just kind of get by and be a good person and it's all good, but I never really deal with the issues in my heart or allow God to do that. And it's exhausting. And so for me, like I, I came to a point in my life where I was like, man, this is stupid. Like I need to quit pretending that everything's okay in my life. I need to quit pretending that, I, that I've got it all together and I need to pull the mask off. And when I did that, God began to do some things in my life. When I opened up about some of my struggles, when I started walking what I was talking, God began to do some things in my life. And here's what I've learned, that the world is longing for men and women to do what they say. That the world is longing for men and women of God who claim that God has changed their life to actually go live a changed life. And so maybe you're here and, and that resonates with you a little bit and you're like, okay, well, how, like, what was the thing? What was the catalyst in your life? How did you like pull the mask off spiritually? What exactly did you do? And, and here's what didn't happen, all right? Someone didn't roll up in my life and be like, hey, Chad, I'm starting to observe some things and, and there's some inconsistencies and you need to quit being a hypocrite. All right, that's not what happened, all right? Here's what happened. The way that I got cured, the way that I got healed from my hypocrisy is that God sent men and women in my life to start teaching me the Bible. And the more that I studied the Bible, and the more that I understood the main message of the Bible or the gospel, 
God began to do some surgery in my heart and he began to heal my hypocrisy. And here's what I understood, the main message of the Bible or the gospel, it tells you two really, really important things. It tells you that you are hopelessly lost more than you really want to admit. But you are desperately loved more than you could have ever have imagined. And so you can be honest with who you are and you can understand that because of what Jesus has done, on the cross and his resurrection, what we've talked about in song and from announcements even, that you can be accepted by God Almighty and that the gospel is the cure to our hypocrisy. And we desperately need to remind ourselves of the main message of the Bible tonight, that the gospel is the cure to our hypocrisy and it's the cure to really any sin. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, The Cure to to Hypocrisy. And what I want to point you to is that, again, that the cure to hypocrisy is the gospel. That Paul, he's writing this letter to this group of people, and they've accused him of, like, Paul, you're not legit. You have no authority. Like, like, we've heard about your message, and we've heard about you, but, like, you're not one of the guys. You know, one of the guys that we really follow, one of the guys that we really respect. And so Paul's written up at this point. He's like, hey, guys, this is what Jesus has done in my life. These are the guys that have validated what Jesus has done in my life. And he's like, man, I have authority based upon what I received from Jesus Christ. And then they were also saying, and the message that you brought to us, your gospel, Paul, it's not legit either. It's insufficient for salvation. Because Paul, like surely, surely people can't be made right with God just based upon their faith in Jesus Christ. That's too easy, Paul. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. The gospel means good news. And it is the extension of the grace of God when you place your faith in the Son of God and the work of God that he did on the cross and the resurrection on our behalf. And Paul's like, that's the gospel, and he is driving a stake in the ground, a line in the sand, and he is protecting what he knows to be true and pure. And y'all, Paul's a dog, y'all. Like, he's a bulldog. And Paul, he's this guy that's like, man, I'm gonna fight when I need to fight. And this message, or this whole letter that Paul's writing to these people in Galatians is him not backing down from the challenge. And he's writing to set the record straight And he's saying, I'm legit, and the gospel that I preach is legit because Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Paul, he's he's even recalling in this section when he picked a fight with one of the guys, like one one of the big dogs in the church. And here's what it says in Galatians 2, starting at verse 11. It says, now when Peter had come to Antioch, now if you're new to the Bible, real quick, let me just stop real fast. Peter, he's a big deal, all right? When you're looking at like the hall of fame of Christianity, Peter's one of the guys, all right? Every like Christian joke is like, I went to heaven and Peter showed me around, you know? So Peter's like, he's a big deal. He's the guy that, that Jesus looked at when Jesus was walking in his ministry. This was one of Jesus' guys, and he looked at Peter and says, Peter, you're going to lead the church. Like he was the first guy that Jesus said that to, and he's like, man, Peter, he was bold. He was courageous. Peter's the guy that preached the first sermon at the first church service, and 3,000 people at Peter's message got saved. Peter, he had some clout. He was the guy that walked with Jesus. He saw things that no other people saw Jesus do. Jesus, he, man, he had some highs and lows with Jesus. He'd been through some stuff, but Peter, he's the guy. And so when people were thinking about like the church, and now Jesus has ascended into heaven, they're like, okay, well, who do we look to for authority and for leadership? Uh, we nominate presidency to Peter. And so when it says this, that Peter had come to Antioch, this was kind of a big deal. Like, oh yeah, I remember when Peter came to town. Antioch is one of the areas, like Kansas City is to the Midwest, Antioch was to Galatia. And so Paul, he's recounting this. He's like, y'all remember when Peter had come to Antioch? And here's what he says. It says, 
I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I love this. Paul's like, I don't care who you are, Peter. You were wrong. Now, I love this because we have conflict between two guys. This is like a spiritual MMA match. And I don't know how you feel about guys getting in the octagon and fighting. I'm in, all right? And so, you know, put the mouth guards in. I'm watching, all right? And so anyway, this is what's happening. These two, like, colossal people are, like, going after it. And here's what I want you to see. It's okay for men of God to challenge other men of God. But notice that Paul doesn't get on his Twitter feed and subtweet, hashtag, you know who you are. You know, he, he's, he goes to Peter face to face and he challenges him. Now, I think Paul is reminding the people that he's writing to about this occasion because he's like, like I, he's saying this, if I challenge Peter, you better believe I'm gonna challenge you. I don't know if you're familiar with Abundant Life, but we have a really big pastor, like, big, like literally big, all right? Like he's the first guy I've worked for that I'm like, man, if push come to shove, I think you would beat me up. Actually, I know he would, you know? I mean, he's like six, you know, big and like he's muscles and just all this stuff, right? And, and not only is he big in his stature, but he's also big in like his theological knowledge. Like he's been studying the Bible for decades. Uh, he's been preaching the word of God for decades. Now, if you and I, if I had to come and challenge you on something and I came to you and I started out like this, like, hey, hey, I had to challenge Pastor Phil on the same thing. You better believe that I've got the confidence now if I challenge that guy that I can challenge you too. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's like, hey, I, I went and talked to Peter face-to-face, mano-a-mano over these issues. You better believe that I'm going to talk to you about them. And he's calling them out. And here's what he, he continues to recall this story. He says, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. Verse 12, it says this. For before certain men had come from James, these are kind of Peter's guys from his hometown in Jerusalem, it says that Peter, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, Peter, he withdrew and he separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite. Here's the key word. They played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And so it's like, like, like Paul saying, Peter, you influenced all of the guys that, that grew up like you did, even Barnabas. Barnabas is like the nicest guy. And like he was even playing the hypocrite. And Peter, he was afraid of these guys, and so he's acting like a hypocrite in the way that he was treating other people. Point number one, if you're taking notes now, you could write this down. Fight hypocrisy. We need to fight hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy, just to kind of give you a definition again, it literally means that you're acting. You know, it, it's, it's you're your putting on a mask and pretending to be something that you're not, all right? This was like a, a thespian term, you know, that people, they would, they would be hypocrites on stage. They would pretend to be something that they're not. Y'all all, y'all all have done this before. I, I did this even last night. Like, there was this big basketball game last night. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. Okay, yeah, four of you. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, all right. This is Mizzou country, I guess. Okay, so anyway, so I get, I get invited to go watch the, the KU basketball game with like some like KU alumni. Like these are like real KU fans. So much so that I'm like, what am I gonna wear? I don't have any KU stuff. And so I have like this red Patagonia like sweater thing. And I'm like, it's red, I've got a blue KC hat, let's go. You know, it's not even the right blue, but I'm like, and like as soon as I walk in the door, they're like, you're not a KU fan. And I'm like, no, it's red, bro, it's red. You know, like, like every other frat boy that's at the game, it's red in Patagonia. You know, this is like the uniform for frat boys, right? And so, like, I, I roll up in there. I'm like, nah, we're good, you know, but I'm, I'm faking. Low-key, I've seen one KU game, and that was Saturday. And so, anyway, <laughs> I roll in there, and I'm like, let's rock, chalk, Jayhawk! Yeah, you know, and I'm just like, and I'm fronting the whole time, but, I, but I'm cool about it, you know? 
I'm not like, yeah, I don't really know much. Like, I'm watching, you know, and I'm watching, like, the commentators. I'm like, and I'm saying, I'm dropping stuff throughout the pregame. Like, like Coach Self, man, he's, I mean, und- like, he may be undisputed, one of the best coaches all time, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm, like, saying stuff. Like, I don't even, I don't even think that's his name. Like, Bill, I don't know, you know. And, and then I'm, like, learning jerseys, and I'm, like, Remy, come on. Like, let's, you know, and I'm just saying things, and I'm just trying to fit in. But deep down inside, I'm, like, I'm not even a basketball fan, y'all. And, and I left the house, and I was with the guy, and I was like, hey, man, did you know what was going on? And he, and, and he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, are you a big KU fan? And I was like, no, nah, bro, I was fronting the whole time. Anyway, I was being a hypocrite in that moment. And we can laugh about that. But that's how some of y'all are on the regular. Like, you know, a hypocrite. You, you say one thing, but you do another. You know, a hypocrite, you, you treat certain people a certain way, but, but then you treat other people differently. And that's what Peter was doing. He was, he was guilty of hypocrisy. Like, there was a time where he was hanging out with the Gentiles. And these are people that, that didn't look like him. These were people that were probably a different racial orientation than him, definitely different, from a different hometown than him. And, and they had different customs. And so what was happening is, like, Peter went down to Antioch, and he's like, Gentiles, like, God loves everybody. Give me some bacon, you know, because he couldn't eat bacon back in his hometown. But with the Gentiles, it was all cool. So he's, he's chomping on some bacon. He's hanging out, and they're, like, and they're talking about, like, God loves everybody. But then some people from his hometown show up, and Peter's like, I don't know who y'all are. Y'all are less than us. And he, he leaves them, and then he, he begins to even criticize them. And I'm sure the Gentiles are like, Peter, what's going on? Like, what happened to the whole God loves everybody? We're all, we're all of the same, you know, God's children and all of this stuff. And, and why is that all changed? And so much so when Peter, because he was a leader, when he left and he started discriminating against people, all the rest of his kind followed him. And he's being guilty of some of the grossest types of hypocrisy. And here's what I know to be true. If Peter can be a hypocrite, none of us are immune to being a hypocrite. Peter's the guy, he, he wrote parts of the Bible, y'all. This isn't like some like, you know, baby Christian here. Peter followed Jesus for years. P- Peter preached the first sermon. Peter like prayed for people and they were healed on the regular. I mean, like he had the power of God in a really, really unique way. Peter was like a capital A apostle. Peter was the, like, he is one of the guys. And if that guy can get caught up in hypocrisy, what that just shows me is that none of us are too far from being a hypocrite. And tonight, we're reading about how Paul went to this man and he called him out. But here's what God's doing right now, is that he's calling us all out. See, we've got to fight hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something that we have to fight really in two areas. We have to fight it in ourselves, and we also have to fight it in others. Again, no one is beyond becoming a hypocrite. Peter was the last person that you would ex- expect to do this, but hypocrisy, it causes you to, to just kind of lose your mind in some ways. Hypocrisy causes you to forget how much you really need God. You know, and you'll start pretending like, you know, I mean, God had to, he had to save me, but he really had to save you. Like your sin is somehow lesser than someone else's sin. And you'll start to walk in your own strength and your hypocrisy will cause you to forget God. It'll also cause you to, to fake it till you make it, you know? 
You'll, you'll learn some Christian words, you'll learn some spiritual jargon, and you'll just kind of like push through and be like, yeah, yeah, and that thing too, and you'll just kind of play along, but deep down inside, you know that you don't really read your Bible. You know that you don't really pray. You know that you don't really do spiritual things, and it'll cause you to fake it till you make it. Hypocrisy will also cause you to fear other people. That's what, that's what Peter's problem was. He was scared about what they were gonna think about him because he was hanging out with them. And he was afraid, he was a people pleaser. And this man that was so courageous, he caved under the pressure of what others thought about him. Some of you are scared to stand up for your faith in front of your family, because you're scared of what they'll think about you. How about what God thinks about you? Some of you are scared to live out your faith at your workplace. You're afraid that somehow, you know, the bad, the worst may happen and you may get let go. God is your provider. Some of you are scared and you're caving in to the pressure of others, that you're fearful for others. Hypocrisy, it'll cause you to forget your need for God. It'll cause you to fake it till you make it. It'll cause you to fear others. Hypocrisy will cause you to fall away from accountability. You'll start seeing that friend that speaks truth in your life. And you'll start dodging them. Like, I just got to put a boundary up in between us. You know, you'll call it something spiritual. I read Cloud's book and I just need a boundary. Because that person just, like, they keep asking me about my intentions with my girlfriend and what I'm doing. I just need a boundary, you know. And because uh, it's just, it's toxic. You know, you're using all these words. It's like, they're just speaking the truth to you. They're trying to hold you accountable, you know. But you're being a hypocrite and you don't like the accountability. Oftentimes we dodge accountability so that we can justify our disobedience. Hypocrisy, it'll also cause you to flounder in your faith. Some of us, you come in here tonight, and I don't know if this was me several years ago, is like, man, I just feel like I'm hitting the ceiling spiritually. Like, you know, I feel like I, I just, you know, I've kind of, I've maxed out in my spiritual life. I'm kind of floundering in my faith. Well, the reason why is because I had secret sin in my life that I was willingly doing. And if you've come in here and you're playing the hypocrite, not a reluctant one, but a willful one, you are going to hit a ceiling in your life. God will not continue to bless you and mature you if you are perpetually sinning against him. That would be the most unloving thing that he would do. And some of you, you are floundering in your faith because you're playing the hypocrite. And tonight, if you're living like a hypocrite, it's time to take off the mask and we need to address the hypocrisy and fight it in ourselves. But we also need to fight it in others. Uh, Paul, I, I love this, that he's going to Peter and he's going to the other people and he's saying, hey guys, hey guys, you're living inconsistent with what the gospel teaches you should do. I think what the reason why outsiders look at Christians and they say, man, they're so judgmental and hypocritical is because we lack the courage to go to our Christian brothers and sisters and call them out. Because we think this thing oftentimes is some sort of spiritual masquerade ball where we're all just okay with everyone showing up with a mask. And Paul is showing us that it's okay to go to a brother in love to their face and say you're living a life that's inconsistent and it's confusing at best and it's destructive at worst. And if you have any influence, then the enemy would want nothing more than to cause you to justify your hypocrisy so that you can influence others to justify their hypocrisy and to perpetuate this confusing Christianity where you say God loves everybody, God can change anybody's life, but not that person and not those people. And Paul, he's calling out Peter's hypocrisy. I wonder, how do you need to fight hypocrisy tonight? Like, is there somebody that you know 
that's living willfully in their hypocrisy that you need to go have a conversation with. And more than likely, the somebody that you know that you need to go have a conversation with about their hypocrisy is you. We've got to fight hypocrisy, church. That's what the word of God is leading us to tonight. It goes on in verse 14, and here's what it says. It says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews? He's saying, he's saying Paul said, Peter, Peter, but you got, you got a double standard here. You're, you're not living a life that's straightforward. That word straightforward is the Greek word, it means like ortho walking. You know, like, like y'all been to an orthodontist before? I don't know if y'all grew up like me. My teeth were jacked up, man. I could eat corn on the cob like tw- 12 different ways because my teeth were going all these different ways. And I had to go to the orthodontist. And, and w- when I went to the orthodontist, they set an anchor in my mouth, and then they put some wires around my teeth, and, and they began to align my teeth so that my bite was corrected and so that my teeth were straightened out so that I could get a wife someday. And so what, what I'm trying to say is that the gospel is an anchor in our life. And then we live our life allowing the Holy Spirit through his people and through his word to keep aligning our life so that we can walk straight. Paul, he's saying to Peter, he's saying that you were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You were trying to add conditions to the gospel as to why someone has to be doing all of these things in order to be right or justified before God. He goes on in verse 15. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, he's kind of tongue-in-cheek here, and, and then he makes a point in 16. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says it again. This is really important. He says, even we have believed in Christ Jesus. If you're circling or underlining your Bible, this is a key phrase to all of Paul's theology. He says that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down. Fight for the gospel. Fight for the gospel. Paul, he's contending for the gospel. I told y'all when we started this study through Galatians, we're going to be talking about the gospel over and over and over and over that because when you, when you water down or when you change or you try to add something to the gospel, I don't know if you're here on week one and I made that weird milk black lava thing, you know, it's like it turns into something completely different and gross. And Paul, he's contending for the gospel and he's fighting for the gospel. He says again in verse 14, when I saw that you weren't walking out the truth of the gospel, he said, I called you out. I fought for the truth. This is what the gospel is, and this is how it impacts your life. He's saying this. Paul's saying to Peter, he says, you know the gospel, and you know that you're not living it. See, the way Paul fights hypocrisy is by reminding them of the gospel, that the cure to hypocrisy is the gospel. Paul didn't show up to Peter and say, hey, Peter, 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 you forgot the rules. Stop it. That's not what he does. That's not Paul's disposition. He's saying, Peter, Peter, guys, Barnabas, guys, let me remind you of why we're no better than anybody else. Let me remind you of what Jesus has done for us all. Guys, guys, let me remind you of the main message of the Bible. Guys, let me remind you of the gospel that we are made right with God 
by putting our faith in Christ, not of any sort of a law or ceremonial or religious thing that we can do. And the way that he combats the hypocrisy is by communicating the gospel. The cure to the gospel, excuse me, the cure to hypocrisy is the gospel. That Peter, he fell into hypocrisy because he forgot the gospel. See, I think the reason why we sin and the reason why we love it and the reason why we live in it is because we have lost sight of the price that God paid for our sin. That Paul says in verse 16, you're not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. Again, if you're new to the Bible, works of the law is just this phrase that represents religious activity. That these people, they thought that you had to do, you you had to like do all of these religious things, and then Jesus died on the cross too, and we just kind of, you know, we, we put them all together, and like Jesus, he feeds us the ball, and like we dunk it for the game winner, and it's just kind of Jesus plus our efforts, that's what makes us right before God, and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. If you add to the grace of God, it ceases to be grace. And it reminds them that you're not justified by the works of the law, but by the works of Christ. It's not your efforts that get you to heaven. It's what Christ did and you putting your faith in that. You're made right, not by your works, but by Jesus's works. So this is like a big deal in the Bible. Big, big deal. Like this is the first time that the phrase justified by faith is used in Christianity. And if you know much about Christianity, there's been books and libraries filled about this sort of thing. This was the, this was the anthem of one of the greatest movements of God in church history, that we are justified by faith, sola fide. This is our justification and, and by faith that we, we plant a flag in. And Paul, he's introducing this idea for the very first time. And this was Paul's favorite way to describe the gospel implications. So if you're new, if you've never heard justified or justification, if you've been in church, you've probably heard that phrase, but if that's a new phrase to you, here's what it means. It's a legal term that literally means right standing. If you're taking notes, here's kind of a more robust definition. It literally means to declare of a man or woman on trial that he is not liable to the penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have actually kept the law. That Paul, he's fighting for the gospel. He's waging war against hypocrisy of wanting to act like, oh, you contributed to your salvation somehow. You contributed to your right standing before God. What makes someone have right standing before God is not what you have done, but it's what Jesus has done for you. Let me explain this this a little bit further and kind of imagine that you're you're being tried in a court of law justification, it's a legal term. Let me imagine that you're, you're being tried in a court of law and you're, you're being accused of being a sinner. Do you think that you would be guilty? If you don't know what sin is, sin is, you know, let's just start with the, the Ten Commandments. There's many more, but we'll start with there. Ten Commandments, maybe you heard some of them, like you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't have sex before you're married or have sex with some other spouse, uh, you shouldn't lie, um, you, sh- you shouldn't take God's name in vain, you should keep the Sabbath. You know, this, you know, the big 10, like, have you broken any of those? More than likely, you know, you've broken at least one of those. And Jesus, he adds to the standard and because he can, because he's God. He just says this, hey, if you, if you felt anger in your heart, then you broke one of the 10 commandments of murder. That God, he doesn't just judge the actions of a man, but he, he judges the intentions of a man. And so when, now when we look at that and, and, the, and the judge says, well, we, you're being tried for being a sinner and we're not just looking at what you've done, but what you wanted to do. 
He's like, oh, man, I'm toast, right? Like, we've all sinned. Nobody's perfect. We've all had things in our heart. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. And, and the judge, he says, well, the, the penalty for your sin is that you're going to serve a life sentence, an eternal life sentence in hell. And you think, well, that's, that's not fair. And he says, I'm the judge. That's the law. And imagine, imagine you're in a courtroom, you're looking at the judge, the judge drops the, go- the gavel and he says, you are guilty. Imagine. Maybe some of you in that moment, you'd be like, this isn't fair, and you get angry, and you're like, no, but you're in cuffs. The guards start to come to take you to serve your sentence because there's no, no denying that you're guilty of breaking the law. Maybe you look down and you start to cry because you think, oh my goodness, I'm guilty and I'm gonna have to serve the punishment that has been set. And you think there's nothing else I can do? There's no way out of this, but, I've been, but I did this. I did. The sentence has been given. Maybe tears start to hit the ground. You start to fall through your chains and your cuffs. And then you hear the sound of some movement. And you look up and you're, you're surprised because the judge has removed himself from the stand. And he comes near to you and he puts his arm on you. And you're confused because you're like, what are, you, what are you doing? You're the judge. And he says, I am the judge, but I declare today that I will take your judgment. And he begins to open up the cuffs. He puts them on his hands. And as the guards are confused, he looks at them and says, you take me to the sentence. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm free. And before the judge leaves to serve your sentence, he gets his wallet, gives you his wallet and says, oh yeah, and everything I have is yours now. And that's what it means to be forgiven of your sin. That you earn right standing in that moment, not because of anything that you've done, but only because the judge was willing to take your judgment. And he remains just, but he also becomes a justifier on your behalf. And this is the gospel that you and I, we were born sinners. We broke the rules before we could even talk, before we even knew what we were thinking or doing. This is something that just comes natural to us. We are born selfish. And the gospel tells us that one day we are appointed to die and then to be judged. And we will stand before a holy and just and righteous God, the judge. And if we haven't had a time in our life where we placed our faith and trust in the means by which he has given us to be forgiven of our sin, we will stand condemned to serve an eternal life sentence separated from God. But the gospel tells us that even though we were sinners and guilty, the judge took on our judgment by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross to absorb the wrath of almighty God. And then three days later, he rose from the grave He ascended to the right hand of the Father. 
He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and he is returning as a judge one day. And the gospel is the good news that we don't have to die in our sin, but that we can be justified, not by our own works, but we can have right standing or to be justified by putting our faith in what Christ has done. And Paul is fighting for clarity on what the gospel is, and he's pointing these people that have slipped into hypocrisy, thinking that they can earn their salvation, and he's reminding them of the gospel, that mercy was given to pardon your sin, and grace was given to privilege you as a son, not of your own works, but by faith in God. So Paul, he, he continues. And he's like kind of just kind of spiraling in this sort of idea. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also, or excuse me, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? He says, certainly not. He's continuing this logic. He says, for if I build again those things which I destroyed. I make myself a transgressor. That he's using Peter as an example of the type of life that the Galatians are living. And he's saying, just like Peter got things mixed up and thought he had to add things to his salvation, you guys are trying to add things to your salvation, and this is not what makes you right before God. What, what Paul's saying is that if I say salvation by grace, and then I want to add to, things to it later, that, that's, he's like, that makes you in the wrong. And he goes on in verse 19. He says, for I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Paul's saying, I'm not bound to the law as the means by which I have to try to earn God's favor. God's given me his favor in Christ. And then he says this in verse 20, an anchor text in the whole Bible, especially the book of Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. If you're looking for a verse to memorize, memorize this one. If you're looking for a truth to lodge into your heart and to live out every day, you do this one. This is the song that we sang. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law or my own efforts, then Christ died in vain. Paul, what he's doing is he's, he's calling them to focus on the gospel. Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight. And finally, focus on the gospel. Paul is calling out their hypocrisy by fighting for the gospel and then calling them to focus on the gospel. Like Paul, again, like he would say that the gospel is the, it's the lens by which we see our entire world. And we've said this, that the gospel is not just the, the, the doorway into Christianity. It's the pathway by which we walk Christianity. Uh, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, and then we move on to higher learning someday. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. That Paul would write elsewhere in Colossians, just as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. And the way that you receive Jesus Christ is by grace through faith. The way that you walk in Jesus Christ is by grace through faith. That the gospel is so important in the way that we live our life. And Paul is calling them, hey, you focus on the gospel. He's rooting around in the redemptive work of Jesus. And Paul, he's going through great lengths to defend the pure gospel. And he's calling these Galatians, and he's calling us tonight to focus on the work that Jesus has done for them. So are you focused on that? When you woke up today, did the gospel cross your mind? Or did you just kind of do your life the way that you want to do your life? If you want to live the way that God wants you to live, 
It's gonna involve you daily recalling what Jesus has done for you and you walking in that great truth. See, the way that you, you know that you're focusing on the gospel is that you're living out some version of, of verse 20. Like when Jesus, when he, when he changes you, listen, it changes you. I think for a lot of my life, I'd be like, man, Jesus changed my life. He changed my life. And if you were, if you were to kind of like roll with me for a week, you'd be like, what part of your life did he change, bro? Because it looks like we live in the same life, and I, I don't even know God. You don't read your Bible? You, you don't live out your faith in any way? You may say a prayer before a game for good luck, but I don't think it has anything to do with your love for God. It's just you want him to bless you so that you can be popular. <laughs> and when Jesus, when he, when he changes your life, it should change your life. See, a saving faith is a changing faith. And if your life hasn't been changed by the truth of the gospel that you've believed in your heart, then maybe, maybe you need to reevaluate if you really believed in the gospel. Like you can't have an intersection with the almighty God and it not wreck your life in the most wonderful of ways. That when Jesus changes you, it changes your life. I told you earlier, man, I, I've lived a hypocritical life. I was, I was claiming to be this, but I was doing this. Like I was claiming that God had delivered me from the penalty of sin, but I was still being gripped by the power of sin because deep down inside I was still living for myself and I was a hypocrite. And again, I began to wrestle like, okay, if, if, if my life's not changing, did my, was my life even entrusted into Christ? that I wanted God's grace, but I didn't want his government. I wanted his redemption, but not his rules. And when you read the Bible, that just, that doesn't work out. That's, that's a version of Christianity that's outside of this thing. And so I wanted to be tethered and anchored to the truth of God. And so here's what I had to start doing. I had to start living out verse 20. And I love that Paul, he, he writes this. He, he, he says, I have been crucified. It's personal to Paul. So throughout this whole message, when we started talking about hypocrisy, if you started thinking, Man, I wish my sister was here. It's like this whole best of us, like a hypocrite. You're like, yeah, just like my coworker. Listen, this message is for you. This message is for all of us. We have to take this call personal. Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. This is a decision that I have made. I'm not concerned with someone else's hypocrisy right now. I'm, I'm saying daily, I have been crucified with Christ. And Paul, he says, not, not only is it personal, but it's something that, 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 I, that I make a choice. It's I have been crucified with Christ. It's at the point of temptation that we all face every day in some sort of way that you have to begin to live this verse. You have to walk in this truth. It's at the point of temptation that you look at that temptation and you say, I want that. I want to give in to that. I want to run to that for strength. I want to run to that for consolation. But I've been crucified with Christ, and I'm choosing to say no to that thing. I'm choosing to say I'm dead to that power in my life. If you know Christ, you don't have to sin. You don't have to choose to sin. You can choose to wake up and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's you daily waking up and saying, I'm dying to the sins of my past. I'm dying to the shame that I feel. I'm dying to my prejudices. I'm dying to my bitterness towards others. I'm 
dead to my people pleasing. I'm dead to my pleasure seeking. I'm dead to my self-abasing. I'm dead to my self-hating. I'm dead to my self-inflating ways. I'm crucified to the comfortable, conforming, controlling, compromising life. You focus on the gospel and you choose daily to say, I, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live, Paul says. He says, the life I now live, I live by faith in Christ. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That faith is you choosing Christ. Faith is you choosing God's word. Faith is you choosing to say no to yourself, no to your sin, and yes to God. Faith is believing in God's word and acting upon it regardless of how you feel. And this is so hard because we're so in touch with our feelings as a culture. And that has become our compass in life. And if our feelings say this is north, then we go that way. If it says this is north and this is the right way, we go that way. But your faith is meant to inform your feelings, not the other way around. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith that informs our feelings. You choose the crucified life. It's time to nail our hypocrisy to the cross, paradigm. It's time for us to, to be dead with our duplicitousness. There came a point in my life where I had to say this, I, I'm done with pretending. I'm done with practicing this weird version of faith that I've invented, and I need to run towards Christ and what he's done. See, I think for me, the reason why I didn't feel like a Christian a lot of times in my life is because I wasn't acting like one. And maybe you're here and the reason why you don't feel like a Christian is because you're not doing anything by faith. That tonight we need to turn from our pretense. Tonight we need to stop pretending that we love God when deep down inside we know that we love our sin more. Tonight, we need to turn from our hypocrisy, and we need to see that the cure to our hypocrisy is the gospel, and we've got to choose it tonight. We've got to say, as a collective, I have been crucified with Christ, and by faith, we say yes to following God, and by faith, we say no to following ourselves. Why? Well, Paul says it right here. He says he does all of this because Christ loves him, and Christ gave himself for Paul. The reason why you would follow Jesus is not because you're going to be punished. It's not the punishment of God that compels people to follow God. It's not the punishment of God that leads people to repentance or change. What the Bible says is it says it's the kindness of God. It's the love of God that changes us. And Jesus' love is not some ethereal, nebulous idea. What Paul says is that Jesus loved me, and note this, he gave himself for me. And Paul's recalling this profound truth of what Jesus has done. And he's saying, if you want to quit being a hypocrite, if you want to quit living a life of sin, then the cure for that is the gospel, that you're so loved, that it's not ethereal, that you're so loved that God gave himself for you. See, I think the greatest form of hypocrisy and the most destructive form of hypocrisy that any of us can fall into is pretending that you don't need God. Is pretending that you don't need a savior. 
See, some of you have come in here tonight and, and, and you're, you're saying things like, I'm not that bad. I, I just kind of need God to bless me a little bit in life and then I'll get on with my life. And listen, if you think that you're not that bad and Jesus just kind of, you know, his death on the cross was just kind of like a, a nice inspiration, then, then what a great tragedy. Like imagine the house is burning down and like the whole family's out of the house and you see a man come out of nowhere and he runs into the house and then the whole house collapses on this man and he dies. And you look around at your family like, well, who did he go in to save? And he didn't save anybody, but he just sacrificed his life. You would think, wow, what a waste. We didn't need him to go into the house and save anybody, but he gave his life. That's foolish. But imagine if the house is burning down and your roommate or your child is in the house and you see a man come out of nowhere and he runs into the house and as he's throwing your loved one into your arms, the house collapses on him and he dies. You think, wow, what a sacrifice. And he did this from a heart of love. And Paul's saying that if you could save yourself, then Jesus died for nothing. But the reason why Jesus died is because we all need a savior. And one of the greatest, most destructive forms of hypocrisy is when we pretend that we don't need a savior. And that hypocrisy paves a path to hell. And so why are you pretending that you don't need God to save you? If deep down inside you know that you need a savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, let's thank you for your word. God, I'll just publicly confess my own hypocrisy at times. Sometimes I feel like I'm the biggest hypocrite. Who am I to stand up here and to tell people how to order their life? But God, help me to be found faithful to try to walk out the truth before I call others to walk it out too. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would remind us of your sacrifice, that we would be melted and moved by the price that you paid to run into the burning house to save us. <laughs> we would be reminded of the glorious cosmic reality that the creator of the universe the judge of the living and the dead stepped off the bench and he said, I'll take the judgment for you. Who are we that you are mindful of us, God? And who are we to deserve such a sacrifice? We are nothing. So God, I, re I pray that you would just inform our hearts. If there's somebody here that hasn't put their faith in you, and they're looking to other things to try to earn right standing before their maker, God, that they would see that that ultimately is anathema and that you would cure all of us from our hypocritical ways of trying to add things to the gospel and we would just be in awe of the sheer wonder and majesty and we would be left in amazement in a beautiful form of humility and gratitude for the love that you've given us and the way that you gave your son. In Christ's name I pray, amen.